the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the Daily Show Prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Now, okay. Not exactly sure what the technical problem was, but welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. My apologies. I am live in Cleveland, Ohio, which, of course, is responsible for the glitch here. Sometimes connecting from remote locations around the country uh, lends itself to those sorts of uh, issues. But we are, I think, better now. Whatever the situation was, it is gone. So thank you so much for joining us for the Dennis Prager Show. Live in Cleveland, it is the ReliefFactor.com studios, and we are still trying to figure out how and why it is that the United States of America is producing millions and millions of radical terrorist sympathizers. And that is what the focus of a lot of today's show is going to be. Uh, the breaking news, by the way, from Hamas, or excuse me, from, uh, from Gaza, where Hamas has been operating, obviously, these horrific and uh, carrying out these terrible terrorist attacks against Israel, is that this morning a deeper incursion into Gaza was carried out by IDF forces. Um, this is the response that the IDF and the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, has for the um, United Nations that is telling them to lay down, lay down their arms and surrender. The response from Benjamin Netanyahu is exactly the response that should be being delivered this morning and this afternoon if you are on the East Coast like I am. What we are finding out right now is that the um, United Nations, the globalist community, whatever it is that you want to call it, they are united in their opposition to Israel and therefore in their opposition to Israel's pretty much lone ally in the world, and that is the United States. And that means it's time for us to make some very serious decisions. I want to start with this, and it's, it's, it, it, there, there's no sugarcoating it. There's no ambiguity here. There's no, there's no way to make this look or sound any better than what it is. It can't be interpreted any other way. The United Nations is anti-Semitic as it, at its core. All right? The United Nations General Assembly hates Israel. They hate Israel. They hate Israelis. They hate, is, they hate Jews. They despise the existence of the Israeli state, even though the United Nations helped actually affirm its existence in 1947, 1948. 
What we know from Friday's UN General Assembly resolution vote, in fact, not one but two different votes, what we learned from those votes is extraordinarily telling. Now, if you don't know what happened, let me just fill you in. There was a resolution that was, that was put up for a vote before the United Nations General Assembly on Friday that demanded that Israel lay down its arms, that they agree to a quote-unquote ceasefire, which means lay down your arms and essentially surrender. Surrender to the terrorist organization sponsored by Iran, a United Nations member, a terrorist organization that committed the most horrific wartime, and that it wasn't even wartime because it wasn't even against fellow or uh, you know uh, enemy combatant soldiers or troops. They did it to civilians. They did it in Israeli communities, going home to home and committing the most barbaric, savage, animalistic attacks one can imagine that can be committed against innocent people. Right? Israel has been ordered now by the United Nations, at least by way of the resolution. It is non-binding. But, they, but it does state that the United Nations as a body, as a globalist body, is indeed in agreement that Israel should not go after those who committed that barbarism. That they should not go after them because they might hurt other people that are in the way in Gaza. Right. So the resolution that was adopted by the body, again it's non-binding, told Israel that they must agree to a humanitarian truce leading to a cessation of hostilities, which is another way of saying ceasefire. A total of 120 countries voted for that resolution that says, Israel, lay down your arms. uh, 14 countries were against that. 44 didn't want to say anything. They abstained. Okay? Okay. So what this means is while it's not a binding vote, it lets the United States and Israel and the the few other no votes, the 14 against, lets them know that the rest of the world condemns them. And the rest of the world sees them, meaning Israel and us, as being on the wrong side of history. Now, that's only one vote. That That is enough, in my estimation, that single vote against Israel's ability to defend itself. Which, by the way... This would be like the United Nations having a vote after, after Pearl Harbor, saying, you know, United States, you know, yeah, we know that you were attacked and we know that you suffered, but, you know, let's have a ceasefire here. Don't go after Japan. It would be like the United Nations after we were hit on 9-11. You know what? You know, we know, we know that you know where they came from, that they were trained in uh, Afghanistan, Al-Qaeda terrorists were trained in Afghanistan. They were funded by uh, 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 Osama bin Laden. But you know what? Let's, let's just have a ceasefire here. Let's, let's let cooler heads prevail for a, while, for a while. No one would ever say such a thing. But they're saying it to Israel. Eh, you know what? It was bad. But you know what? Just lay down your arms. Let's let cooler heads prevail. Let's let you know, a secession of hostilities take place here. Let's have humanitarianism rule the day. That was only one vote. That would be enough for me to say, United Nations, we're out. The United States of America, by the way, is the overwhelming funder of United Nations activities. Virtually all United Nations activities... Um, you know, they're supposed to be 
we're supposed to be 200 individual nations, but the United States uh, um, contributes some 30 to 40 to 50 percent, somewhere in that range, of all funds that allow the United Nations to operate. That's not to mention hosting them on our soil. Yet the rest of the world, paying maybe half of what the United States pays toward this thing, decides that they can tell the United States and Israel what they can and can't do to defend themselves. But that's only one vote. That it should be enough for us to say we're out of the United Nations. We're not funding you anymore. And oh, by the way, find a new place. Get out of New York. Find a new country to house your globalist uh, you know, uh, uh, empire in. The second vote is even more troubling. That vote was actually, oh, I'm told I have 20 seconds left. My apologies because we had our little bit of a technical glitch to start the program. I'll catch up on the other side of this. But the second vote that was held on Friday is even more astounding and more infuriating than the first one. But they both serve the same purpose to tell us we need to get out of the United Nations. we got so much to talk about today. Thanks for being with us on the Dennis Brady Show. America is at a tipping point. Dennis Prager here to tell you about a new movie you should see. Dinesh D'Souza's movie, Police State, exposes the government's relentless persecution of the conservative movement. The America we know and love is becoming more and more like a police state every day. The FBI has turned its eyes away from the real dangers in the world to target what they call domestic terrorists. With a totalitarian agenda that's treating conservative Americans like criminals. They're targeting their political opponents using mass surveillance and censorship, indoctrinating our children, and threatening people who speak their minds and stand up for freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and God-given American liberties. Directed by Dinesh D'Souza, Debbie D'Souza, and Bruce Schooley, Police State Sounds the Alarm. You have to see this movie, Police State. Buy it or stream it now at policestatefilm.net. That's policestatefilm.net. All right, thank you to Dennis Prager again for allowing me to sit in uh, for this uh, phenomenal uh, broadcast audience. I love Dennis's audience. I, uh, I, I always say this whenever I talk to an audience that I respect, that I plan to learn as much from you as I can present to you from me. And that is how I feel about it. Welcome. Bob France in for Dennis Live in Cleveland, Ohio. AM 1420, the answer is my home base. I never promote my stuff enough when I get on uh, Dennis's show or any of the other wonderful Salem nationally syndicated shows. So please engage and follow on uh, the social media, the normal circuit. You can find me on Twitter or X at France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z, R-A-N-T-Z. Find me on uh, Facebook and on Truth Social and on Instagram and on Rumble at Always Right Radio. Look for Always Right Radio and you can find me there. And we can engage even when we're not doing the Dennis Prager Show. So let me get back to the point about the United Nations and why the United States needs to dis associate itself from this globalist body that has no interest whatsoever in the in the United States interests or in the interest of our allies in Israel. You notice my background if you're watching this on uh, Salem uh, News Channel right now or on DennisPrager.com or anywhere else where you can watch the video stream. You'll see what background I have up. I've got uh, flying flags of the United States and in Israel because I want to do what the Biden administration won't do, and that is be unequivocal in my support for Israel's right to exist. The Biden administration will not make that 
uh, claim. They will certainly will not make that clear. There is not unequivocal support for the state of Israel from the Biden administration or from the United States federal government at, uh, writ large. We know this because the message we send is a message of, of, of anger toward Israel and of support and concern and fear for Palestinians, for civilians in Gaza, to be more precise, because Palestinians, technically speaking, don't even exist, simply because there is no Palestine on a map. And there has never been a Palestine on a map. Not modern, nor ancient maps. That's another story. And we'll talk about that a little bit, I think, throughout this, this broadcast today. But nonetheless, the message from the Biden administration, the federal government, and sadly too many uh, brain-dead, uh, brainwashed, walking robot students on college campuses all across this country waving pro Palestinian flags, wearing Palestinian scarves, and wearing, uh, you know, pro, uh, carrying pro-Hamas messaging. And that does what? That sends a message to Hamas, Hezbollah, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and the other terror groups out there. It sends a message to them saying, Israel isn't even supported by the Americans. Let's keep going. As an international body, the United Nations, Nations is telling the Israelis, ceasefire, ceasefire, ceasefire. That means they can't fight back. And when they do fight back, we have the Americans sending messages to the rest of the world that they don't support them. They support us. You do understand that's what this is, this is saying, right? These campus outbursts, these you know city councils in the city in which I live, Cleveland, Ohio, Cleveland's city council chamber last night was filled with some 200 pro-Hamas and pro-Palestinian protesters. And they took turns speaking during the public comment se- uh, session, condemning Israel and praising uh, Hamas. So what, what message does that send globally? I am trying to send the opposite message. That's what these flags behind me say. And that's what I will continue to do. I will continue to be unequivocal in my support for Israel's right to exist, my support for Jews to not be uh, slaughtered in their beds, to not be ravaged, to not be attacked the way they were on October 7th, without repercussions and without Israel having the right to make sure it never do, is, is never uh, um, uh, carried out against them again. So back to the United Nations. On the same day Friday that the United Nations voted um, to approve a resolution telling Israel to lay down their arms and agree to a ceasefire. On that very same day, there was another vote on Friday. The nation of Canada offered an amendment to the resolution to condemn the October 7th Hamas massacre. That should be a no-brainer, right? Even if you say you want a ceasefire now... You would think that it would be unanimous that every nation says, however, we do condemn what Hamas did. Right? You'd be wrong. The 47-word draft amendment proposed by Canada stated that the General Assembly, and I quote, unequivocally rejects and condemns the terrorist attacks by Hamas that took place in Israel starting on 7 October 2023 and the taking of hostages, demands the safety, well-being, and humane treatment of the hostages in compliance with international law, 
and calls for their immediate and unconditional release. End quote. Now, again, if we're living in a, in a, in a world and if we are operating within a United Nations body that has any redeemable qualities whatsoever, any integrity, any moral guideposts to follow, every nation would have said, well, of course we agree to that amendment. We condemn Hamas, we demand the safety and humane treatment of hostages, and we demand that the hostages be released. You want to know how that vote turned out? The final vote on that amendment was 88 for, 55 against, 23 abstentions. What that means is, even though more countries voted for the amendment that opposed it, it wasn't anywhere near enough to meet the threshold for approval. 55 nations said no, 23 of them abstained, which is also a no. That means, by my count, 78 nations that are a part of the United Nations do not condemn Hamas and the terror attack, the murders, the beheadings, the rapes, the burning of families in their homes, house to house to house, the hostage-taking. They don't condemn those things. That's number one. Number two, they do not demand the well-being and humane treatment of those hostages, which was in the language of the amendment, and they do not demand that the hostages be released Immediately and unconditionally. 78 nations, 78 nations support the terrorist activity and refuse to condemn it and refuse to demand an end to the, the, uh, the inhumane treatment of the hostages. How and why, and I'm going to ask this very, very sincerely. I would like an answer. It's not rhetorical. If you know, and if you're a part of this very, very advanced uh, um, knowledge base of an audience of Dennis Prager's, maybe you do. Tell me specifically what advantages we have by being in the United Nations. What does it get us? Do we benefit from the United Nations economically? Do we benefit from them from a national security perspective? Do we benefit in any measurable way as a country of being a part of the United Nations? And if you have the, no answer for that, and if you say, no, we don't benefit, tell me why the hell we are still funding it and why we have not pulled ourselves out of it. Mike Lindell has a passion to help you get the best sleep of your life. You didn't stop at the pillow. Mike also created the Giza Dream Bed Sheets. These sheets look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep, which is crucial for overall health. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's latest deal is the sale of the year for a limited time. You'll receive 50% off the Giza Dream Sheets, marking prices down as low as $29.98, depending on the size. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio podcasts square, and use the promo code Prager. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow 2.0 mattress topper, MyPillow kitchen towel sets, and so much more. Call 800-761-6302 or go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code Prager. All 
All right, 34 minutes past the hour. Bob France sitting in for Dennis Prager in Cleveland, Ohio, the relieffactor.com studios. Thank you for being with us. We're going to open up the phone lines here at 833-33-GORKA, 833-3346. Or excuse me, I'm giving you the wrong phone number from Dennis Gorka, from uh, Sebastian Gorka. Uh, 8-Prager-776. Can you tell I do a little bit of radio? 877. You're lucky I haven't given my, lo- my, my home phone number yet. I'll give you my local number in Cleveland, Ohio. I'll probably give you my, my home phone number uh, by the time I'm done with the show today. That's how much I do. I apologize. 8 Prager 776-877-243-7776. Before we go to the phones, though, I want to I clarify something. This is extraordinarily important because I don't think people remember. Do you remember after 9-11, what was, the, what was the T-shirt? What was the bumper sticker? What was the, uh, you know, the hashtag and everything else back in 2001, 2002? We will never forget. We will never forget is what we said. Now, what was it that we were supposed to remember? What it felt like on that day? Yes. What it felt like when the planes hit the towers, when the towers came down, when the, um, uh, when the, um, United 93 went down in Shanksville when the whole thing happened. Yes, of course, jumpers and everything else. But when we said we will never forget, what specifically was it we needed to remember? And the answer to that question is, is who did it and why did they do it? And how can we make sure it never happens again? Right? Well, at that time, for the better part of that decade in the, in the 2000s, we were all acutely aware of who did it. And I don't mean just Al-Qaeda. I mean radical fundamentalist Islam. We were acutely aware of all of that. Everything that happened prior to 9-11, the bombing of U.S. embassies, the attack on the USS Cole, the taking of American hostages by radical Islamists. Okay? And and it really smacked us in the face on 9-11 exactly what radical Islam is all about, what its goal was, what, it goal rem- its goal, uh, what its goal remains to this very day. And we were reminded of it again a little bit on 9-11, 2012, when, you know, Benghazi happened. We were reminded a little bit in the last decade, in the teens, the 20 teens, because of the rise of ISIS and the barbaric, horrific terrorist attacks that they carried out the beheadings on 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 a, a live stream video on the internet, you know the burning of that. I think it was a Jordanian pilot. I think burned him alive again for the world to watch on the internet. What do those organizations, Al Qaeda and ISIS, what do they have in common with Hamas and Hezbollah and Palestinian Islamic Jihad? And the Houthis, what do they all have in common? And the answer is radical Islam. And I think that's a big problem for us right now. When we said we will never forget, we forgot what radical Islam's goal is. Radical Islam has a goal of killing you. Do you understand that? Radical Islam has a a, a stated goal, stated by their prophet, stated by their holy Quran to do one of two things to infidels, convert them or kill them. That's it. There's, there's no door number three. Convert or, or kill all infidels until what? 
until there is one world religion, until there is one world governed and dominated by an Islamic theocracy, and they are willing to play the long game, not over a period of years, not even over a period of decades. They're willing to work toward this from the beginning of their lives to the end of their lives until the next generation and the one after that for centuries. The goal is Islamic domination of the world. Do you understand that? Because if you understand that, you will then understand why there will never be a two-state solution in the Middle East involving Israel and a Palestinian state. Because the Palestinians are nothing more than Arab Muslims, governed and guided by the principles of radical Islamic law, which is to kill or convert all. And what does that mean? That means they will never agree to live alongside a state, Israel, that is not Muslim-dominated. It's not just the Jews, it's the Christians, it's all infidels. Understand what the Palestinian goal here is. Okay, it's 44 minutes past the hour. Appreciate you being with us uh, here on the Dennis Prager Show. My name is Bob France, sitting in in Cleveland, Ohio. Phone lines are now open. Well, they're all filled up at uh, 877-243-7776. That's 8Prager776. So I, I hope... What I'm saying is relatively clear. Those wishing to push moral equivalence into the Israel-Gaza-slash-Israel-Palestinian conflict have no earthly idea what the end game is for Muslims, for particularly fundamentalist Muslims. It is not to live peacefully alongside a a state that they believe shouldn't exist on land that they believe that they shouldn't own filled with people that they don't believe should, should exist either. That's not the goal of fundamentalist Muslims, fundamentalist Muslims following the teachings of the Quran want to kill infidels like Jews and like Christians and any non-Muslims. They will either submit and convert to Islam or they will be killed. This has been the goal for a very, very long time. I want to play a clip for you. Now, Bill Maher, you know, well, maybe you know, Bill Maher is a noted liberal. He's been on on HBO television for 20 years or more. He used to do Politically Incorrect, and now what's it called? Uh, uh, Something, I don't even know what what it's called anymore, because I don't don't pay HBO. But I do follow Bill Maher, and I follow him online, and Bill Maher has become for lack of a better way of saying it, a little bit red-pilled. Bill Maher is a much more centrist liberal than he has ever been before, and he pushes back against that which is just extraordinarily uh, outrageous, including the transing of America, the BLM movement, uh, you know, uh, all, all of the really uber-radical stuff. He's not a part of it anymore. But anyway, back on his old show, Politically Incorrect, as I think is what it used to be called, um, he had an interview with Christopher Hitchens, who's a noted Brit- British author and journalist and, and historian, and I think an atheist. But he had Christopher Hitchens on, and they were talking. Again, so this I don't have a date for this clip, 
but I just found it uh, yesterday. And I want to share it with you now because, again, even though it goes back to Bill's old show, so it's at least 10 years old, maybe a little bit more. But I want you to listen to what Christopher Hitchens says here. It's about one minute long, and I want you to pay very close attention to it because it brings into, I think, some sort of context or brings some light to the current situation that we're dealing with, with the attack on Israel by uh, the Arab Muslims in that, uh, in that region of, region of Gaza, uh, known, as, uh, uh, known as Hamas. It brings it all into focus. Listen, please. 1988, when the United States was barely a country, right. it was having its um, sailors taken as slaves by the Barbary states, the states of the Ottoman Empire in North Africa. Tripoli. Tripoli. Shores of Tripoli. Shores of Tripoli. Ships uh, stopped. Its crews carried off into slavery. We estimate one and a half million European and American slaves taken between 1750 and 1815. Jefferson and Adams went to their ambassador in London and said, why do you do this to us? The United States has never had a quarrel with the Muslim world of any kind. We weren't in the Crusades. We weren't in the war in Spain. Why do you do this to our people and our ships? Why do you plunder and enslave? Our people and the ambassador said very plainly, Mr. Abdul Rahman said, because the Quran gives us permission to do so, because you are infidels. And that's our answer. And Jefferson said, well, in that case, I will send a navy which will crush your state, which he did. Islamic fundamentalism is not created by American democracy. It's a lie to say so. It's a masochistic lie. And it excuses those who are the real criminals, and it blames us for the attacks made upon us. In 1780- so I hope you were able to, to decipher most of that. But he talked about how the fact that, that 1788, between 1788 and 1850, um, American and European sailors were captured, killed, or enslaved along the Barbary Coast and Tripoli and so forth, as he talked about. And, and, and some of America's leaders went to, to those Muslim-dominated communities and said, why are you doing this? And you heard the rest of the story there, because the Quran tells us we can. That's why. Because you're infidels, and you deserve to be enslaved or to be killed. And that is exactly how they believe, how they feel. This is what they believe in. It's true. They do this because they are commanded to do this by the Quran in an effort to make Islam the one world religion. So take that historical piece just just kind of reminded uh, 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 reminded us from Christopher Hitchens and on that that dated show and bring it current why do you suppose the united nations condemned the resolution or excuse me did not approve the resolution condemning hamas's attack on israel why do you think that they did approve a resolution telling israel to drop their arms lay down their arms cease fire Why do you think Hamas and Hezbollah and all of the other Islamic republics in the the Middle Eastern region continue to call for, including and especially Iran, continue to call for the elimination of of Israel from, from the map, wiping it off the map? Because the same goal applies now that it did during the Ottoman Empire. The same goal is applied now that was applied during all of the Muslim uh, expansion. Uh, It's the same law or the same rule or the same um, endeavor or agenda that they've had since the beginning of Islam. Since they identified the Prophet Muhammad and said his word is law. Since they identified the Holy Quran and said this is what we must do. 
The same thing was true then that it is today, and that is that their goal is to not just live alongside infidels in peace. It's to find ways to kill the infidels and take their land and make it a one-world theocracy, a Muslim theocracy. So anybody that tells you that there is a moral equivalence between what's going on in Gaza and and, and in Israel, that, well, because Gaza, or rather Hamas, which was elected by the Gazans and by the quote-unquote Palestinians to run that country and to run that, that non-country, they're not a state, but to run that, uh, you know, to govern their people. Since they attacked Israel and Israel attacked back, let's keep it proportional and then everything will be even. It will never be even because the side that wishes to create the Muslim world, one-world theocracy will never stop. They'll never stop. All right, it is six minutes before the top of the hour. Bob Franson for Dennis Prager, trying to make a little bit of sense of what's going on in the Israeli-Palestinian-slash-Gazan conflict. And just, just to let you know, there is no such thing as a ceasefire. There is no such thing as a ceasefire. I hope that's very, very clear. If there is a ceasefire ordered by the United Nations and Israel complies, Israel will die. Because the Palestinians, the Hamas terrorists, the Hezbollah terrorists will never, ever, ever, ever honor a ceasefire. If they wanted to live in peace, they wouldn't have attacked Israel on October 7th the way they did. They don't want to live in peace. They don't want a ceasefire. They want to continue doing what they do. It's in their blood. It is in their religion. It's in their minds. It's in their hearts. It's what they believe they are called to do. Never, ever underestimate that. Frank is calling us from Los Angeles. Frank. Uh, thanks for calling the Dennis Prager Show. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Nice to hear you on the on the show. Doing well. And um, you know the the Iranian that stood up before the United Nations and made a direct threat to the United States. Now I wonder if he's going to be investigated by the Attorney General who put out that memo and he swore up and down like so many times before Congress that it was only about threats of violence and violence against the United States. And here we have, you know, a foreign national on U.S. soil making a direct threat. And nothing was done. He walked out of the United Nations. Well, you're right. Uh, Nothing was done and nothing is going to be done. Because this country and this particular regime that leads this country right now does not believe in in, uh, enforcing law, enforcing rules, enforcing, uh, you know, red lines that they draw. The fact that they, they threaten the United States directly from within the United States is of no consequence. Let me give you an example why. And thank you for the call, Frank. Um, let, me, let me give you an example of why and, and proof, if you will, of why. <clears throat> Look at our southern border. Nine million people have crossed into this country in the last two and a half years since the Biden regime took over. Nine million people, roughly six million people that they know are quote-unquote asylum seekers. They're coming in, they're turning themselves in, or they're being apprehended. I'm seeking asylum from this, that, or the other thing. Okay, go on in. Catch and release. A million and a half known gotaways, and another million and a half unknown gotaways. So roughly nine million people. Is our homeland secure? Our homeland is not secure. We have a Department of Homeland Security that is ceremonial in, 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 in effect. It's ceremonial. It is simply, um, uh, it, is, it is a title. It is, it is an organization to make it look good. But they have no intention of securing the homeland. If they did, they would seal that border and they would deport immediately any foreign nationals who are, who are threatening the United States. You have your answer. 
That individual that rises up and threatens the United States on American soil knows that this administration will do nothing to him or about it. Hour number two coming up of the Dennis Prager Show. I just picked me a plum You came along and well, everything started war is officially hum. on on two fronts now Israeli jets are striking Hezbollah targets in Lebanon In addition to IDF forces being in Gaza uh, trying to literally take out Hamas terrorists in the tunnels underneath Gaza They're also fighting now in Lebanon. Iranian-backed militants have targeted a U.S. base in Iraq, which means that we are potentially going to have to get involved in more airstrikes. Israel has arrested some Hamas operatives in the West Bank as well. So now that's a third front, really. Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show on this Tuesday. It's the 31st and final day of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Bob France, live in Cleveland, Ohio. The ReliefFactor.com studios are AM 1420, The Answer. I welcome you to listen to me any day you are so interested from 9 to noon Eastern time. So 6 to 9 a.m. for now, Pacific time until the time changes. But you can do so at whkradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z-R-A-N-T-Z, on Facebook, on Instagram, on uh, Rumble, and on Truth Social, all at Always Right Radio. You can find me in those places. I'm trying to follow the news as it breaks right now. You want to hear something bizarre. You want to hear something very, very strange. Hillary Clinton, of all people. Hillary Clinton has suggested that a ceasefire, as the type um, recommended by the resolution passed by the United Nations, would be a gift to Hamas. I'm just following uh, headlines as they cross my screen as we uh, continue into this uh, second hour of the Dennis Prager Show. Um, How bizarre does it have to be? How I don't even know what to make of it when Hillary Clinton is on the right side of anything. A ceasefire by Hamas, Benjamin Netanyahu has said, excuse me, a ceasefire by Israel would be surrendering to Hamas. That is exactly correct. There will be no ceasefire. There are now three fronts. They're fighting in Gaza. They are uh, delivering airstrikes in Lebanon against Hezbollah. And what I just reported was they captured some Hamas operatives in the West Bank. So three different fronts, three different kinds of locations all surrounding uh, the uh, uh, Israeli state. The Palestinians are, of course, crying about the uh, collateral damage. The Palestinians are all worried about uh, what's going to happen to us, what's going to happen to to the the civilians here, you know, if there's not a ceasefire. I want to play a clip for you before we go back to the phone calls at uh, 877-243-7776. That's 8-Prager-776. Because some are worried so much about the Gazans, the um, uh, Palestinian civilians, or the Gazan civilians. Again, I'll get into the discussion about whether or not there is actually a Palestine or not. Um, quite frankly, there, there isn't an actual Palestine, which means there cannot be Palestinians. I know that's a, a, a taboo thing to say. A lot of people get very, very upset by that. Quite frankly, I don't care. Um, but I want to play a clip because the concern 
for the plight of uh, the Palestinian children and women and so on and so forth is is leading so many people to saying, don't we as an, as a humanitarian nation, and doesn't the rest of the world have a responsibility to provide aid for them? After all, their water has been cut off. Their food supply has been cut off. Their power has been cut off. Don't we have to do something about this is essentially um, what the message is. Well, Senator J.D. Vance from my state, the great state of Ohio, was on CBS's Face the Nation, and I'm, uh, I'm endeavoring to give you this clip. For some reason, I'm still running into some technical difficulties today. I'm hope, hopeful that I'll be able to, to play this for you. Otherwise, I'll just have to paraphrase it for you. But um, on CBS's Face the Nation, um, J.D. Vance was asked, why would you oppose sending aid to the families of, um, you know, of, of all of these, uh, you know, these civilian families, uh, these women and children who have nothing to do with Hamas, who didn't attack Israel. They're just there and they can't have any water and they can't have any food and they can't have any power and, and anything else. Shouldn't we do something about that? And I guess I'll just have to paraphrase it for you because I can't make the clip play. But Senator J.D. Vance said uh, much more kindly and gently than I will right now. What are you crazy? What do you think happens with any aid that is sent into uh, that is sent into uh, Gaza. You think it actually reaches the people there? You think it actually goes to the civilians there? All aid that goes into Gaza is confiscated by Hamas. Now, again, this isn't just some, you know, right-wing, you know, uh, uh, talk show host, Islamophobe or anything else, not caring about other... No, 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 no. This is from Hamas. This is from the New York Times quoting Hamas. I don't know if you realize this, but the New York Times actually ran an article, uh, the headline of which read, and I'll read it to you, it was just from a couple of days ago, as Gazans scrounge for food and water, Hamas sits on a rich trove of supplies. That's the headline. The subheading, Hamas has spent years stockpiling desperately needed fuel, food, and medicine, as well as ammo and weapons in the miles of tunnels it has carved out under Gaza. Who do you think that's for? It's not for the civilians. It's not for the gods and civilians, the Palestinians. It's for their Hamas terrorists, those who are carrying out the jihad, if you will. And how do we know that? How do we know that they just don't care about the people that, you know, again, CBS and Margaret Brennan and Face the Nation and all of the American leftists are all, send aid to Gaza, send aid to the people there. They didn't do anything wrong. Send aid to them. Do you understand this yet? Hamas wants the Palestinian people to die. Hamas wants casualties among men and women and children who are civilians who are quote-unquote Palestinians in Gaza. They want them to die. And maybe you're thinking to yourself right now, Ari, come on, what is this clown talking about? Why would Hamas, a Palestinian terror organization, want Palestinians to die? I don't know. Let's ask the leader of um, Hamas. That might be a good way to go. Because that's exactly what the Hamas leader, Ismail Haneyeh, has said on video. I'll read it to you in his own words. And I quote, We, from the comfort of his home, protected from any Israeli strikes in Qatar. He's in Qatar or Qatar. And he said, and I quote, we need the blood of women, children, and the elderly of Gaza, that means Palestinians, so as to awaken our revolutionary spirit, spirit 
end quote. They need as many collateral damage bodies of Palestinian men, women, and children as they can possibly stack up on top of one another in order to take pictures of them and send them to the rest of the world as part of the propaganda campaign saying, look what Israel has done. Look what those bloodthirsty Israelis have done. Look at all of the men, women, and children they have, uh, they have killed. That way they will inspire more anti-Israel hatred around the world. And it will inspire more people to pick up arms, more Muslims to pick up arms against the infidels. To, quote, reawaken our revolutionary spirit. So you understand this? Gaza is is 2.2 million strong of quote-unquote Palestinians, otherwise known as Arab Muslims, and they are nothing but tools, propaganda tools for Islamic jihadists to carry out their campaign against Israel and larger, bigger picture against the, uh, the entire West and the entire non-Muslim part of the, part of the world. All right, 877 Prager, I'm sorry, 877-243-7776. That's 8 Prager 776. We'll go back at it now. This is going to be uh, Kim in Northridge, California, on line 3. Kim, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. Bob France sitting in. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Um, Hi, Kim. I'm just wondering if you could interview this guy named Mossab Hassan Youssef. Um, He's also called the Green Prince. Um, He's a Palestinian... He's a son. He's one of these sons of one of the founders of Hamas. And he's completely against Hamas. And he yeah. would be an amazing interview if you could get him on. I have heard of him. And in fact, I heard part of an interview he did. And I believe me, I will absolutely work toward that. And I'm sure a lot of other people will too, because they need to know the truth. And, and, and I'm glad you brought him up, Kim. And thank you for the call from Northridge. I appreciate that very much. I'm glad you brought him up because... It allows me to understate or to underscore something that needs to be needs to be said. When I say that the goal of fanatical fundamentalist radical Islam is world domination and the killing or conversion of all infidels, that doesn't mean every single um, uh, Muslim person subscribes to this. But it is what the goal of radical Islam is. And sadly and unfortunately, it is being carried out much to the chagrin of people like the son of the Hamas founder you just talked about. We've got much more coming up for you. Bob Franson for Dr. Greenspring. I'm very proud, honestly, to be a uh, Hillsdale dad. My daughter graduated from uh, Hillsdale in, uh, in May, and she is off into law school now. Hopefully got great things in her future. Support colleges like Hillsdale. As opposed to colleges... <clears throat> Like the so-called elite Ivy League universities like Cornell, where Jewish students and faculty and staff are told, don't go to the Jewish dining hall because it might not be safe there. They're coming for you. Rather than rooting out those making threats against Jews on campus at Cornell, rather than throwing them off of campus, rather than calling the State Department to say these people are no longer students here, You can revoke their student visas and deport them back to their desert, wherever it is that they came from, since they're so pro-Hamas and pro-Hezbollah. Send them. Rather than do that, they say, no, you guys get to stay. Just, hey, Jews, watch your backs because they're coming for you. Don't go around the obvious Jewish places like the kosher uh, dining hall. You know they have that at at, uh, at, uh, Cornell, right? And you know that's what they're doing. They are. 
All right. Um, I do have the clip for you that I wanted to share with you. This is uh, Senator J.D. Vance on with Margaret Brennan on uh, CBS's Face the Nation as they make the case for uh, CBS does to make sure to send all kinds of aid to those poor children in Palestine. Half of the population of Gaza are children. Sure. Why don't you think the United States can do what Leader McConnell talked about there and provide aid to them? Well, first, Leader McConnell is right, of course, that there are a lot of innocent people in Gaza. We certainly don't want to cause any harm to them. We also have to be, again, reasonable about what we can accomplish. Who delivers the humanitarian assistance? Fundamentally, Hamas is in control of the entire territory. So if you deliver a large amount of humanitarian assistance, who's it going to go to, the children in Gaza or to the Hamas fighters on the front line? I fear it's going to go to Hamas. The Red Cross, all the international organizations who have been there and administering and, frankly, stepping up because the government has failed the Palestinian people, in the words of a lot of analysts on both sides of the aisle. Stepping what government has failed the Palestinian people? The Hamas government, not the American government, not the Israeli government. Tell me, who should be responsible for providing water and food and power to the people of Gaza? The people of Israel, should they be responsible for sending supplies down to, or into the, uh, into the, the Gaza Strip? Which, when they know full well what the Americans know, that everything that is is provided to them is going to be taken by Hamas. Whose responsibility is that? By the way, how do we know this? We have videos of Hamas showing how they take water pipes. You probably have seen this. How they take water pipes that were provided by the international community to provide infrastructure in Gaza. Water pipes to provide fresh water to the Gazan residents, 2.2 million of them. Those pipes are confiscated by Hamas, and then they do videos showing how they retrofit and outfit and use them. They kind of repurpose them to create missiles to launch into Israel. But it's Israel's response to somehow find ways to get water to the Gazan people? It's the United States' uh, responsibility for that? No. You give anything to the Gazan people, it becomes the property of Hamas. Again, I'll read it to you if you want me to again. The New York Times. The New York Times has covered this. As Gazans scrounge for food and water, Hamas sits on a rich trove of supplies. They don't want their people to get the supplies. They want to starve them out in order to make the Jewish people look bad. But I think there's still a lot of evidence with a lot of these international organizations that when we send aid into Gaza, a lot of it goes into the wrong hands. And that's what those of us who are critical of the president's posture are really worrying about. We don't want to basically fund two sides of the exact same conflict, fund Hamas, fund Israel. It seems like a really bad deal for American taxpayers. Most of all, it's just stupid. Senator J.D. Vance from Ohio, he is spot on. Let's go back to it. Uh, this is going to be... How about um, Jimmy in Taylor, Michigan? Jimmy, welcome to Dennis Prager, the Dennis Prager Show. Bob France sitting in. Go ahead. Hello. Hello, Jimmy. We got you on the air. Go ahead. Yes, you're a Zionist and a... Okay. Well, that's to be expected coming from... Yeah, that's to be expected. If you didn't hear it, good. But it's what you would expect from somebody in that region of Michigan. These are the people that vote for people like Sharia Tlaib. Representative Sharia Tlaib, and by the way, yes, I said Sharia Tlaib. You cannot spell her first name Rashida without S-H-A-R-I-A, which is what she and other radical Islamists want. Sharia law imposed over the land. That's what the goal, the end goal is. 
So I'm not surprised to get that from somebody in her district in Michigan. Uh, let's go to line seven, Helen in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Helen, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Um, thank Hi. you for Hi. your thank you for your crystal clarity. Um, my ears perked up when you mentioned something happening in Cleveland, Ohio, and I didn't realize that that's where you're from. But I went online and I looked up uh, the um, protest there, disrupting the city council meeting. I think it was, uh, and I see that I see that the ACLU has um, posted on their website, in particular for Ohio, um, all the details about how you should go protest and, you know, how you can do that or not do that, et cetera. And, of course, they say that it's also their recommendation for protests throughout the whole country. So you can see that these um, spontaneous protests are not spontaneous at all. They're being funded not just by Soros but by the ACLU and no doubt other similar organizations. And the way, by the way, the way that I view it is that the people at the protests are probably the very same people who got paid to protest under Antifa, got paid to protest under BLM, and they just changed the hats and the the clothes they're wearing. Well, you are very astute and observant. You're exactly correct. These are not, you know, organic protests that are spontaneous and so forth. They are planned and they are funded. There's no doubt about it. And they ha- they share so much in common. And thank you, Helen, for the call there from Philly. They share so much in common with the Black Lives Matter and the Antifa protesters. They are all using the same Marxist tactics in order to get, gain and gin up more support and more anger and more rage. I'm going to share a little bit more about this coming up here in the next segment. But and you're going to want to hear this, too. DEI is so much more than just a left-wing orthodoxy for, for schools to gain you know, more access to inclusion and so forth. It is to fund terror activities as well. I'll explain that next. Okay, 33 minutes past the hour. I'm Bob France sitting in for... The great Dennis Prager, happy to be here, 877-243-7776, the number that's 8-Prager-776. Let me hit real quick um, something that I mentioned to the last caller at the end of that call. She was talking about how the ACLU in Ohio and in other places, they're directing people on how to protest, how to demonstrate, how they can unite with one another, how they can coordinate, and so on and so forth, proving that it's not organic and it's not spontaneous, and that's very, very true. It's more than that, though. The college campus protests in particular are are just a little bit, um, I don't know, beyond the pale. The things that are going on on campuses that are supported by faculty members, by by presidents, by trustees and, and others, they're pushing these kids into radicalization and in support of terrorism by using a Marxist tool, one that you're very familiar with. It's called DEI. It's, I call it D-I-E because it really does kill everything it touches, D-I-E, diversity, inclusion, and equity. Cornell has been one of the flashpoints of some of the most dangerous threats to Jewish students and Jewish faculty members and staffers in the country. It's happening in all of these different places, but Cornell has been one of the most egregious, right? I want to share with you this clip. Um, this was on Laura Ingram last night. Uh, professor William Jacobson, a law professor at Cornell, was talking about why things have gotten so out of hand there, and he makes the connection that I think is very easy to make between the radicalization of these students in the 
Palestinian-Israeli conflict and DIE or DEI that is on college campuses uh, across this country. Listen. Well, I think there's a backlash coming, particularly against the very racialist DEI policies that feed a lot of this. I mean, we see it at Cornell. Things have gotten a lot worse on campus since three years ago. The university adopted an extremely aggressive DEI programming where everything is viewed through race. Everybody views things through their identity. And Jews get left on the side because they create coalitions based on race and against white Israel, which of course is, is a false you know, way of describing it. And so we've got a toxic atmosphere and Cornell and other schools need to consider whether this hyper-focus, this obsession with race is actually making matters worse. I know that at Cornell, it's making matters a lot worse for Jewish students and the school needs to get a handle on this and scale it back. There's no, no how- question about there's no question about everything that you said. If you don't know enough about DIE, <clears throat> it is very much born of the same principles um, of radicalism that you find in CRT, Marxist theory, which is you know critical race theory and critical gender theory. Critical theory divides people from oppressor to oppressor, uh, oppressed to oppressors, or oppressors to oppressed. Right? It divides people that way. So critical race theory divides it along race, to critical gender theory along sex, or uh, uh, or on sexuality or sexual orientation. Uh, there's critical class theory, and so forth. So. DIE is very well connected to that. Diversity of race, not a thought, just of race or sex, etc. Inclusion, despite your race or your this or that or the other, and equitable outcomes for all races. It's, it forces people, and on college campuses, it forces the young adult students there to see everything through that prism, that prism of race, and that division of oppressor and oppressed. So here in the United States, it's the terribly white systemic, you know, systemic white racism, the oppressors in the white class against the poor, you know, minorities and people of color uh, in, in the lower class. And that's how they, of course, use critical race theory and they use DIE to create that division. Well, it's very easy when you beat that into the kids, kids' heads because at Cornell and other universities like them, it's not optional that you take DEI classes. It's not optional that you attend DEIE programming. You have to do these things in order to graduate. They make them make it compulsory. And then you have to regurgitate and repeat back, repeat, repeat back to them everything that they tell you to the point where it does become a bit of a brainwashing cycle where things that you might not ordinarily think or believe you kind of have to say in order to get your grade. And then you start to say, yeah, and they start to buy into these things. So on college campuses, D-I-E... Programs like the one described by Professor Jacobson there at Cornell leads these young, mushy-brained, malleable, preformative brains, you know, these, these kids into looking at Israel and saying, yeah, they're oppressors. They're just like, you know, the, the white colonials uh, here in, uh, in, in, in North America. They're, they're colonizers. They, 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 uh, they, are, they stole the land from the people who were originally there. They're occupying their land. They're not giving them freedom. They're oppressing those people. So who would a would a marginalized? Now you don't even have to be a marginalized member of a marginalized group. But who would a an American college student side with in a conflict like this? The big bad oppressors from Israel that have the land, or the oppressed people who say they stole our land? 
This is a red alert for hardworking Americans who are tired of seeing their freedoms and savings threatened by the globalist agenda. Wealth Protection Research is on a mission to find whistleblowers who are exposing the schemes that threaten your financial security. We're talking about real patriotic financial warriors like Jim Rickards and Porter Stansberry. They're not afraid to tell it like it is, exposing how the system is rigged against you. Text IDEAS to 76626 to find out more. With the 2024 election storming our way, your IRA and your 401k appear to be in the crosshairs. That's why we've compiled our three favorite ideas from Freethinkers. Don't wait for a knock on your door telling you it's too late. Get this critical report. Text IDEAS to 76626. The fight for your financial freedom is on. Text IDEAS to 76626 now for your free report. That's IDEAS to 76626. Standard text and data rates may apply. All right, the third and final hour of the Dennis Prager show is underway. Bob Franson for Dennis, live in Cleveland, Ohio, the relieffactor.com studios of AM 1420, The Answer. My daily show is from 9 to noon Eastern time uh, that you can hear at whkradio.com if you're interested in anything that I have to say and you want to hear more of it, you can do that if you are so inclined. You can also follow me and engage on social media. I try to be as... uh, Uh, responsive as I can on social media, on Twitter, otherwise known as X, but I'm still going to call it Twitter, uh, France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z Rants, R-A-N-T-Z, France Rants on Twitter. You can also get me on social media, or excuse me, Truth Social, rather, Truth Social, and on uh, Facebook, and on Instagram, and on Rumble at Always Right Radio. Find me there at Always Right Radio, or just look for my name. You'll find it, Bob France. And I welcome the opportunity to converse with you there. I want to share something with you uh, briefly here. In fact, two clips, because um, there is testimony that's going on at this hour um, in which FBI Director Christopher Wray is addressing something that you and I were just talking about on this very program, and that is the fear and the legitimate concern for foreign terrorists uh, coming into this country by way of our poor, poor southern border. They're here. Make no mistake about it, they are here. In fact, last week, there was a report from Customs and Border Patrol San Diego Division that said they have actionable intelligence uh, proving that there are actual members from Hamas and Hezbollah here in the United States. It's not a could be, might be, they're here. And the question is, is what are they planning and what are they plotting? That stuff all came in last week. But now FBI Director Christopher Wray is uh, testifying before, I believe, the Senate Appropriations Committee. And he is warning of some of the same things that I just brought up. But as I said a few moments ago, on top of the homegrown violent extremists and domestic violent extremist threat, we also cannot and do not discount the possibility that Hamas or another foreign terrorist organization may exploit the current conflict to conduct attacks here on our own soil. We have kept our sights on Hamas and have multiple ongoing investigations into individuals affiliated with that foreign terrorist organization. 
Christopher Ray, for once in his career, is right about that, that uh, Hamas and, and other terror groups are going to be represented among those crossing our southern border. They're here. It's a threat. It's serious. But what I also found interesting is what he said at the beginning of there. He said, in addition to the domestic terrorists and the homegrown terrorists, we know that blah, 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 blah. Still focusing on white Catholics. Remember, remember this? Christopher Ray and the FBI and the Department of Justice were warning about Catholics who are like the real old school Catholics, the ones who go to Latin masses. They're the ones we have to keep our eyes upon. They're still looking at just civic-minded, patriotic Americans and seeing them as domestic terror threats. Why? Because they have a MAGA hat? But, but worse than that, just yesterday... Peter Ducey, one of the few journalists who actually get to ask questions in the uh, White House press briefing room with uh, with uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, um, who actually asked difficult questions, asked her if the president of the United States, she's the spokesperson for the president, asks her if the president sees these protesters, pro-Hamas protesters, um, at American, you know, various places of, of demonstrations, whether it be college campuses or other places, if the president sees them as extremists, she would not agree to it. She wouldn't even address it. Are people wearing pro-Hamas garb, carrying pro-Hamas signs, making death to Israel and death to America chants, are they extremists? Would not call them that. But a parent at a school board meeting who says no boys should be using the girls' bathroom because my little girl goes in there, that's an extremist. That's just that's beyond my comprehension. One more quick one before I go back to the phones. 877-243-7776, by the way, 8Prager776. Um, Secretary of uh, State Tony Blinken also testifying before the Senate Appropriations Committee. And he was asked... Uh, actually, he was interrupted by some of the pro-Palestinian protesters there. And this is what he said to them. I also hear very much the passions expressed in this room and outside this room. All of us are committed to the protection of civilian life. All of us know the suffering that is taking place as we speak. All of us are determined uh, to see it end. Uh, but all of us know the imperative of standing up with our allies and partners when their security, when their democracies are threatened. That's what's happening now. We stand resolutely with them, even as we stand resolutely for the protection of innocent civilians. Before I close, I'd just like to thank senators for their vote today. To send. That's enough, because again, you know what I heard? I heard moral equivalence once again. I heard... You know, uh, trying to play both sides, I heard unequivocally, but here we're going to equivocate. We're worried about the death of civilians on both sides. And I'm here to tell you, it is not the United States nor the nation of Israel's responsibility to worry about deaths on the other side. Because the other side is actively bringing them about. How, you ask? Simple. You want to make sure not another Palestinian or Gazan uh, citizen or resident... Um, is killed in collateral damage by Israeli strikes, release all the hostages now. Surrender all Hamas terrorists to the IDF. It's over. Those who committed terror attacks should surrender themselves to the IDF and go to Israel for trial and punishment. You do that and you release release the hostages. No citizens or civilians in in, uh, uh, Gaza, Palestinians or otherwise, will be harmed. 
no one if you surrender. So in other words, the choice is theirs. Do you want to surrender and stay in trial for the atrocities you committed? Or do you want to keep doing what you're doing, hiding among civilian populations and letting them die or letting them get starved out or letting them uh, uh, not have access to clean water, etc., etc.? We know the answer. If you just turned the radio on and you didn't hear me read this before, let me read it again. If you missed this from earlier in the show, this is the Hamas leader, Ismail Haneyeh, who said in a video from his home in Qatar, online, posted online for the world to see, quote, we need the blood of women, children, and the elderly of Gaza so as to awaken our revolutionary spirit, end quote. We want our people to die. We want the blood of men, women, and children, and the elderly in Gaza to die. If we get that blood, if we get those deaths, it will make more people angry at the Zionists, more people angry at the state of Israel, and it will help our cause. They don't care if their people die. So to Tony Blinken, with all due respect, there is no moral equivalence here. We support the Israel victims. We support the Israelis' defense forces. Period, point blank, that's it. Anything that happens on the other side of any border wall or fence, which means in Gaza, is up to Hamas, not Israel. I hope that's clear. I don't know if I could be any clearer. Uh, Let's go back to the phones. We're going to go to um, who's been sitting there the longest? Esther, maybe, in uh, Los Angeles? Esther, on line two, you're on uh, the Dennis Prager Show. Bob France sitting in. Go right ahead, Esther. Hi. So uh, yesterday, are you? Yesterday we 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 had a rally in UCLA, and um, none of the students who were not Jewish came up and supported us. We had American flags, and we had Israeli flags. They all looked away, looked at their phones, looked at each other, walked away. One student didn't come up to us and uh, wanted to discuss, and he said that Hamas and the IDF are the same terrorists. That's what they are taught. They are taught the hatred of Israel. They are taught that the parents, where are the parents of these kids? When my kid comes home and uh, puts on her her Facebook, uh, Black Lives Matter, I tell them, I tell them, you're Jewish, and they are anti-Semitic. They, anti-Semitic, they support uh, Hamas. Why is that on your page? Are you a little cheat? I tell her off. Where are these parents of these students? Everybody's to blame in the hatred of Israel. Also, the people on your show, they don't have kids who support this. Well, those are very, very good points. And you're right, they are taught. So many of these kids are taught exactly what you just said. They are taught to hate Jews. They are taught to hate Israel. They are taught to help end the occupation of what they believe. Again, I always have to kind of qualify this. uh, The occupation of, of historic Palestine, the Holy Land of Palestine, even though there has never been a Palestine officially recognized on any map anywhere now or in ancient times or in biblical times. But the reality is that's what they believe. So they teach these kids these things. And guess what? These kids grow up sharing it with theirs. It's generational. But that's what the, the, the radical Muslims do. Right, let's go back to the phones. We're going to go to 
How about uh, Newport Ritchie, Florida? Mike, on line one, you are on the Dennis Prager Show. Bob France sitting in. Go ahead, Mike. And we're not able to punch him up. Can we grab line one for me there, Sean? There we go. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I got I got you, Mike. Yep. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Yeah, you've recruited a new listener. It's the first time I ever heard you, but I am going to tune in to you in Cleveland. I'm down in Florida. Hey, look, I was, uh, I've worked in the defense industry for a long time. I'm retired. I've been to Israel a bunch of times. I've been to 33 countries. A lot of these kids on campus, uh, they don't even remember 9-11. I don't, I don't hold all these Palestinians, they call Palestinians, is innocent. If you remember on 9-11, after the attack on the Trade Center, World Trade Center, all these Palestinians were parading in celebration of the, uh, you know, you had couples jumping out of uh, uh, windows to escape the fire. They forget all of this. And uh, working in Germany, and in, in back in those days, I'm long retired, uh, some of the most fanatical fighters were the Hitler youth. These are kids, but they were absolutely vicious. And we had no problem moral clarity then. When I took some of my liberal engineers with me and doing in uh, Israel, they were anti-Israel before they got there. But when they came back, they got a whole new perspective when they saw what is really going on over there. So, but I'd like to see that some, some, some kind of, uh, uh, remembrance of what happened with the Palestinians, how they celebrated the uh, attacks on the World Trade Center. You don't hear anything about that. No, you don't. And and here's here's the reason why. And I'm so glad you called, Mike, and I'm glad you brought this up because you reminded me of a segment I did in my, uh, my show this morning in Cleveland. Um, I talked about how after 9-11, we all promised that we would uh, we would never forget. We always said, you know, we will never forget. And I may have even opened up this show with it, too. Sometimes the shows run together. My apologies. But what I wanted people to remember was how it felt after what had happened happened and what we saw. And we did. We saw Arab Muslims celebrating. They celebrated the deaths of those 3,000 people, and they had hoped for many, many more. They celebrated the planes crashing. They celebrated the towers falling. They celebrated the jumpers jumping. They celebrated all of it. And when we said we'll never forget, what did that mean? It can't just mean the actual jet flying it. It means what caused it. And what caused it was Islam. You understand? Radical, fundamentalist Islam. Now, that doesn't mean every Muslim is guilty. Of course not. Any more than a white Christian like Timothy McVeigh, who, who b- bombed the, the Murrah building in Oklahoma City in 1995, represented me or you or anybody else. Not saying that, that every person of that faith is responsible, but it was the faith, the Islamic faith, that drove those hijackers, that drove the bombers, that drove the, the, the suicide bombers, that drove the, uh, the, the uh, uh, groups to, to take the hostages in, uh, in Iran. It is Islam. It is radical fundamentalist Islam. It is the Muslim Brotherhood. It is terror organizations all acting with the same Allahu Akbar faith that that their faith compels them to kill infidels. What has happened here is we did forget after 9-11. We did forget. And right now today, you notice no one is talking about Islam, when they talk about this Israeli-Palestinian conflict, they're trying to make it sound like it's two ethnicities. There's Israelis or Israeli Jews and Palestinians, as if it's just a territorial thing and not a, a faith thing. 
a Palestinian is an Arab Muslim. And if they are trying to wipe out all Jews and wipe out Israel, it's on the basis of their Islamic faith, not their ethnicity. It is what Islam compels them to do. So again, and, and I will draw a distinction here. I don't care if this ruffles any feathers. There is a difference between the faith of Islam and the faith of Christianity and the faith of Judaism. There is no one, no, no, no preacher. There's nothing in the Bible. There's nothing in, in, in Christian, Christian, uh, Christian scholarship or philosophy or the tenets of the faith that call for the murdering of people who aren't like you. There's only one faith that has that. It's in the Quran. It's in the teachings. It's quoted from the Prophet Muhammad. It is radical fundamentalist Islamists, which doesn't mean every Muslim. It means Islamists that believe in literally killing or converting anybody who is not one of us already. No Christian preaches that. Nothing in Christianity teaches that. Nothing in Judaism teaches that. There's only one. And that's why the fact that nobody is talking about the faithful aspect of this battle right now, this war between Israel and the Palestinians in Gaza, they're just focusing on, they're just, these are Gazans. Yeah, they're, 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 they're not a faith. They're not of a, of, of a religious bent. They're just people living in there and they're ethnic Palestinians who want their land back. Forget about that nonsense. They're Arab Muslims. And these are Arab Muslims who believe in exactly what the Quran teaches them to believe in. And that is the, the precept that, that Jews shall be wiped out and that that land that is now called Israel, absolutely. You realize it's part of the Muslim, uh, the uh, uh, Hamas charter. In the late 1980s, when Hamas was, was essentially founded, they published their charter calling for the destruction of Israel and the establishment of an Islamic society in historic Palestine what they believe that land to be, even though it has never been Palestine. That's what they call it. And that means wiping out, destroying Israel and all Jews. No other faith does that. The Islamic faith does that. That doesn't mean all Muslims follow that. So I don't want to hear any of this, oh, it's Islamophobic and you're going to put Muslims in danger. No, 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 no. Not Muslims. Radicalized Muslims and pro-terrorist Muslims. And guess what? Pro-terrorists aren't even all Muslims. How many white, atheistic, or Christians siding with the Palestinians because they don't believe it's a religious fight? They just believe, again, these are, these are poor, oppressed people of color who have had their land taken from them by colonizers and occupiers. They, they don't even consider the faith aspect of this, when the faith aspect should be absolutely number one. That's what this is all about. Great phone calls. I'm really enjoying the conversations. Let's keep them going. Bob Franson for Dennis Prager. Right. All right, 33 minutes past the hour. I was just having a conversation with a friend who's of Lebanese descent. He's a Lebanese Catholic, in fact, and he uh, was pointing out, because uh, he's listening to the show, and he was pointing out when I said that, uh, you know, the uh, Palestinians are all Mus- uh, Arab Muslims. He said, no, there are Palestinian Christians. And I said, okay, well, you're, you're, you're parsing words with me here. The fact is there are no Palestinians because there's never been a Palestine. Yes, there are Arab Muslims. Yes, there are Arab Jews. Yes, there are Arab Christians. But it's the Arab Muslims that are committing 
uh, Muslim terrorist acts like what Hamas just did and what Hezbollah does in that region. And not, I'm not going to call them Palestinians when there has never been a Palestine. People need to understand that. They were offered a state in the quote-unquote two-state solution that was offered when Israel was officially recognized. They were offered that opportunity, and they turned it down. Why? Because they don't want a Palestinian state that isn't Israel. They want that land. They believe that land is Palestine. It's why there will be no two-state solution. And any American politician that looks you in the eye and says, I'm going to push for a two-state solution, is lying to you. You cannot have a two-state solution if one state doesn't believe the other state deserves to exist. There will never be peace if one is hell-bent on war. And it's in their charter. Hamas is the officially recognized government of Gaza. All right? Over 50% of Gazans still support Hamas as uh, uh, their, their leadership. Over 50%, despite all of their attacks on Israel and all of the repercussions that come from that. 75% still support the uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, also in Gaza. So these are Arab Muslims, predominantly, who support terror groups that are driven by um, religious Islamic ideology. That's the reality of it. Yes, there are Arab Christians and there are Arab Catholics and there are Arab Jews, but they are not they are not responsible for the attacks that we're talking about. They are coming from Arab Muslims and people need to recognize that fact. Palestinians cannot be called Palestinians without a Palestine. There's an article that I read um a few days ago, um, and I don't know if I could pull it up now, probably not in time, but it gave a very, very distinct history of the of the land. The Jews, of course, have been occupying the land that is Israel for the last 3,000 plus years, roughly 1200 B.C. And at some point all the way through, except for the times when they were conquered by Babylonians and other empires, expanding their empires. But when they were conquered, they didn't give up their land. It still remained their land. And this is about so much more than just indigenous peoples and so forth. But the Jews have called Israel, that land, their home for over 3,000 years. It was never, ever called Palestine. So the whole Palestinian narrative just kind of falls flat when you look at it through that lens. And nobody likes to say that. All right, let's go to uh, Tony, who's calling us from Wichita Falls, Texas, on line four. Let's see if I can do this. And I've only got a minute for you, Tony, but it's yours. Fire away. Yes, sir, sir. I, I'm sorry. I'm kind of nervous. I'll try to be brief. You know, we thought, we've seen the IRS target the Tea Party Republicans. We've seen how the Department of Justice railroaded January 6th protesters. And there is actually a movement in the Department of Justice and Department of Homeland Security to designate MAGA supporters as domestic terrorists. So I think it's wrong to try to... Uh, take away the right to assembly and the right to free speech just because someone in the government or the media declares you as a terrorist. Well, I'll tell you what, my friend, you had no reason to be nervous. You did a phenomenal job. Tony, thank you for your call. I'll respond more to it on the other side of this break. But to, to, in, in short, in summary, you're spot on. You're exactly right, and you did a great job. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk soon. We'll be back. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, 
become a member of Pragertopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.